Was the commission of the January 6th siege on Capitol Hill a false flag event? Why are tens of millions of Americans devoted to the premise that the 2020 election was stolen? Can the impacts of the event, considered insurrection by high-minded politicians and media, result in the beginning of the end of speech in social media as we've known it? What will be the ramifications not only for Trump supporters, but all dissident thinkers on the left? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we explore the event in Washington, D.C. in the last week with three observers and assess what it all means for Trump, his supporters, and the future of America. In our first half hour, we hear from commentator and former White House Secretary Paul Craig Roberts about the evidence of the break-in on Capitol Hill being fixed and the fallout for the president and his supporters. We next hear from journalist and media critic Barry Zwicker about the style of false flag it represents and the fallout going into the January 20th inauguration and beyond. Finally, we get an extensive interview by Jason Burmas about the event he actually participated in as a reporter and how it affected his opinion of the incident. On this week's program, Reichstag 2021, the siege on Capitol Hill and the rise of fascism in America. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of January 15, 2021. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and occupied in Ishinabegaki, the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nehiwak and the Nakota. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with news notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. No matter how many times it has been invalidated as fabrication, the reactionary mythos endures. As might be expected, the author is referring to the preposterous claim that American capitalists, or Wall Street bankers, secretly financed one of the most epochal political revolutions in world history, which overthrew the Romanov dynasty and ended the Russian Empire, leading to the establishment of the Soviet Union one would be hard-pressed to find anyone on the political left who has not encountered this mendacious propaganda, which has a few variations depending on how far to the right its adherent lands on the political spectrum, but it usually shares the same core set of evidence-free claims. Leaving aside whether or not the absurd premise makes any sense politically, what can be acknowledged is that at the heart of these false assertions are tiny elements of truth that have been distorted and overstated to the point of deception. Any research into this allegation inevitably leads one to its most popularly cited source, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, by British-American conservative academic Antony C. Sutton. 
That comes from the article, History of the Russian Revolution, Separating Truth from Myth, by Max Perry, posted January 13th. There was no insurrection on January 6th, which is puzzling in a way. If tens of millions of Americans believe that their democracy is threatened by a stolen election and nothing was being done about it, who would be surprised if there was an insurrection? It seems to me that everyone but the establishment and its minions would support such an insurrection. To charge Trump supporters for something that did not happen while not charging Antifa for what did happen is the best way to split the population. Why does Michael Sherwin want to split the American population? That comes from the article, Why Does the U.S. Department of Justice Want to Worsen the Split in the U.S. Population? by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, posted January 13th. According to a statement by unnamed U.K. officials, those who refuse to get the COVID jab would likely be refused entry to venues. Is the same coming for UK workplaces and schools? Will a mandatory digital ID system come next for Big Brother mass surveillance in Western and other societies? All of the above may be part of what diabolical Great Reset planners intend in pursuing establishment of ruler surf societies worldwide. It comes from the article, Britain to Issue Vaccine Passports, by Stephen Lendman, posted January 13th. Given that the nation has been dancing around the fringes of martial law with each national crisis, it won't take much more to push the country over the edge to a declaration and military lockdown. The rumblings of armed protests at all 50 state capitals and in Washington, D.C., will only serve to heighten tensions, double down on the government's military response, and light a match to a powder keg state of affairs. With tens of thousands of National Guard troops and federal law enforcement personnel mobilized to lock down Washington, D.C. in the wake of the January 6th riots and in advance of the January 20th inauguration. This could be the largest military show of force in recent years. So where do we go from here? That all of these events are coming to a head around Martin Luther King Jr. Day is telling. That comes from the article, A Nation Imploding, Digital Tyranny, Insurrection, and Martial Law, by John W. Whitehead, posted January 13th, originally published at the Rutherford Institute. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. In the wake of the turbulence of the past week, we decided to shift our focus and address these historically significant events. Thousands of activists approached Capitol Hill at the invitation of President Trump. Only a small faction made it inside, overwhelmed the security and police forces, and wreaked mayhem. Authorities are now called upon to take drastic measures to face the threat of these people taking over an essential ingredient of democracy. 
Some observers, however, myself included, have retained skepticism about what happened. The growing view by some is that the security were accommodating the invaders with limited personnel, despite the well-advertised event, and even assisting them by opening gates and doors for them. I got three guests on the show today, shedding their insights into the crowds from their different perspectives. My first guest is Paul Craig Roberts. He's a former assistant secretary of the U.S. Treasury and associate editor of the Wall Street Journal. He has held numerous university appointments. He currently offers commentary on a variety of issues. He's a frequent contributor to global research. I asked him to elaborate on why he doesn't trust the official story of the incident at Capitol Hill. Well, I think uh, the answer is fairly obvious. Um, The rally for Trump uh, was huge, massive. And everyone in Washington, every one of the politicians, including Joe Biden, understood that none of them could produce a comparable rally on the part of the people in their behalf. Indeed, I think they all knew that altogether they couldn't produce a rally as big as Trump's. And so what they were faced with was uh, Trump uh, going out of office with massive support being shown for him and therefore the equivalent that there was massive support uh, for his belief that the election was stolen. Well, as someone who spent 25 years in Washington, at or near the top, I knew the establishment could not possibly allow that to happen. This is a guy they want to be rid of. Uh, they don't want him going out in a blaze of glory and, been, and, and being vindicated by a massive rally. And so I knew there was going to be incidents, an incident. And there was. Uh, if you look at it carefully, And there are lots and lots of videos taken by the uh, people attending the rally themselves. What you see happened is this. On the back steps of the Capitol, uh, two people showed up with uh, bullhorns and started uh, haranguing the crowd. Uh, These were two provocateurs. And what they managed to do was to get the crowd to move up the steps. That's all they did. No one entered the Capitol from the rear. (laughs) Um, And by moving up the steps, then this was uh, the signal for the police to fire off tear gas. And so the establishment was able to film people going up the steps uh, climbing in a swirl of tear gas, and that looks like an insurrection or a riot or whatever. So that's the filming. Now, the people who went inside the White House, as a huge number of videos show, entered from the front at the invitation or permission of the police. You can see the police open the door 
They file in, walking peacefully, in line. They stay within the ropes, you know, the ropes that they have for how you walk through to see things. And there was no violence, nothing. Uh, a a uh, Capitol Hill policeman uh, managed to shoot uh, uh, a female veteran and kill her. And so that's how they got the violence. So now they have filmed insurrection with tear gas and people going up the back steps. Uh, and then uh, somebody gets shot. So now they have a violent insurrection. That's where it came from. And its purpose was to make sure that Trump went out tarred, not vindicated by a massive rally in his support, but tarred by the leader of an insurrection. And everything they've said is simply a fabrication in order to tar Trump, the better to be rid of him. That's also the purpose, Michael, of the impeachment. Uh, there's no grounds uh, for impeaching Trump. He didn't do anything. He didn't, if you look at his speech, uh, it's a little bit fiery in places, but he says, be peaceful, uh, no violence. Um, this is all a creation of the media, which speak with one voice. Well, and so we have an impeachment to add to the blackness. He's the only president impeached twice. And you have to remember, too, the impeachment means nothing if there's no conviction by the Senate. <laughs> and the Senate didn't convict the first time, and this time it won't convict either. In fact, it probably won't even sit, because before it can meet, according to its own rules, Trump will no longer be president. And so the notion that you, the purpose of impeachment is to get somebody out of office. If they're already out of office, what's the purpose? So it's all a political act. And it's the establishment getting rid of a non-establishment figure who was seen as a threat to their agendas and who had massive popular support. And that's what has happened. What makes him such a threat? that they have to take him out in, in such a shield of glory? <laughs> well, I predicted um, some time back uh, that this would happen and that he would be prevented from communicating with his own supporters. So why are they doing it? Well, Michael, the easiest way to understand it is to go back and listen to his inaugural address after he won the 2016 election. When he's inaugurated, listen to this address. It is... It is a reckless attack on the establishment. You're talking about being bold. And he, you know, the establishment has stolen the power from the people. He's going to give it back to the people. The establishment is, is finished. They're over with. Their agendas are over with. We're now dealing again with the American people and what they want. Well, this type of challenge to such entrenched interest. I mean, there's such a large number of entrenched interests. <laughs> and he had no government to appoint to help him bring that off. He's not a revolutionary, he's a populist. He doesn't have a, a revolutionary movement. There's nobody to support this. And in fact, his entire government was staffed up from the beginning with establishment figures. 
except for General Flynn, who was immediately eliminated by the establishment. <laughs> so, and, and his greatest offense was he said he's going to normalize relations with Russia. Well, that's telling the military security complex, which gets uh, a budget of $1,000 billion annually, and all the power that goes with that, that he's going to take away their enemy that justifies their budget and their power. So this is so instantly we had Russiagate. It went on for three years. So how can he normalize relations with Russia when he's accused of being a Russian agent? If he normalizes the relations, it proves he's a Russian agent. And so they stopped him from his main agenda, which was to calm down the tensions uh, between two nuclear powers. So that's, that's why um, the establishment hates him. And, you know, he was, he was acting against almost every establishment interest. He was against the... He was against the trade, so-called trade agreements that let the global corporations offshore all the manufacturing jobs, devastating the middle class, devastating uh, the budgets of, of municipalities and states, putting their pension systems in jeopardy. Um, all these kinds of challenges to an entrenched uh, establishment by a president without a supporting government <laughs> It meant he was going to be destroyed. I said that from the beginning, four years ago. A large part of this is the vote count and the, the principal reason why all these protesters showed up, you know, in large numbers, uh, believing that it had actually been rigged in favor of the Democrats. Um, you know, the courts have clearly not found the evidence. Uh, the media and, and, of course, the Democrats are saying, well, no, it's, it's all a lie. And they kept repeating there's no support for it. Could you give us maybe just a couple of examples of how there is, in fact, evidence? All right. First, let me correct you, Michael. The, the courts made no such finding. They never looked at the evidence. The courts refused to take the case. Therefore, the evidence has never been examined by any of the Democrats, any of the media, or any of the courts. I took the time and trouble to listen to presentations to three of the state legislatures, uh, Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia, by professional firms who were experts in pattern analysis, voting analysis, all that sort of thing. Uh, these, I think, were like all-day sessions. Uh, I listened to the main parts, the the presentations by the professionals, um, a half of whom were people of color, uh, people uh, who had, for example, four degrees from MIT, uh, highly skilled mathematicians. These were the people giving the presentations. And I have enough of an education that I could follow it. A lot of the state legislators were having a hard time. Uh, but it does, uh, it did emerge. There is actually overwhelming evidence that the election was stolen. 
Now, 99% of the people don't know this. If you didn't watch these presentations, you don't know that because instantly the media with one voice was saying no evidence, no evidence, no evidence, fraud, fraudulent claims, fraudulent claims, no evidence. Well, that was to hide the fact that there is evidence. If there was no evidence, they would have examined it and showed the people. Instead, they prevented any examination of the evidence. What was the main elements of the, ex of the elements? Well, first of all, it's not true that these voting machines are just mechanical devices that record votes. They are digital technology. They can be programmed to do whatever. They can be programmed to weight votes. They can be programmed, for example, to give Biden uh, every vote. Every vote for Biden counts 1.3. Every vote for Trump counts 0.7. They can be programmed with, with uh, votes that they might need to throw the election in the direction they're programmed to throw it if the weighting of the votes doesn't do the job. Then they can pull out some more. Another thing that they can be programmed to do is to produce a huge number of votes uh, um, wrong counts in the ballots, which then have to be adjudicated. So then the election officials can decide who the votes are really for. There were cases, according to these experts, where almost 70% of the votes had to be adjudicated. Well, the acceptable uh, uh, amount of votes that, that can be adjudicated according to the federal election law is a fraction of a percent. So you had all of those things, and then you had the mail-in ballots as a backup. For example, if the Trump vote was larger than machines were programmed to offset, you had the mail-in ballots. And so what happened? Uh, midnight, they sent everybody home, they pulled out the mail-in ballots. There, there were hundreds, I think Giuliani said a thousand, signed affidavits of people who witnessed fraud. There are signed affidavits that huge numbers of ballots were run through the machines that had never been folded. <laughs> well, how do you send a mail-in ballot? if you don't fold it, <laughs> okay. and so on, and so on, and so on. And so if you look at that, you can see, oh, there's a huge amount of evidence. And it was never looked at. No one ever examined it. And another, another reason for the so-called insurrection, what did it do? It stopped the presentation of the evidence to the Congress. Not that I think the Congress would have done anything about it. But it stopped the presentation. Is there going to get crackdown now on on not just you know the the, the Trump supporters, but oh, other people, peace activists, and other individuals, uh, so that you know in the name so that it's like a, a dragnet that would take everybody out. I mean, what? I, I think that would have happened anyhow. But this is mainly directed at Trump and his people. You see what the establishment is afraid of. They they now know including the Republicans, that the, uh, the Trump voters uh, regard them as an enemy who will not 
support the people. They don't, they see the Republicans the same way. And so they are scared to death that another party will be formed, a populist party. And they're afraid of Trump as a leader of that, or at least a figurehead. And they're afraid of this party, so they're going to demonize not just Trump, but all of his supporters. This is why they have the brand new domestic terrorist legislation. What it effectively does is criminalize dissent. And so if you form a political group, they're going to call you a terrorist group. And that is, and that's another function of the insurrection. In fact, I suspect that there's going to be uh, uh, a, a fake insurrection on, on Inauguration Day. That's why they got 20,000 troops in Washington. Uh, that's why the FBI and the Joint Chiefs are sending out all these warnings about a, a violent uh, uh, protest uh, of Biden's inauguration. It'll be staged and it will put the domestic terrorist uh, legislation on a fast track. Everybody will say, oh, see, fear, fear. We've got all these right wing supremacists everywhere. These white supremacists, these, these, these MAGA terrorists, they now call them MAGA, you know, make America great again. They're MAGA terrorists. So the whole thing is going to be demonized. So a political party to take the place of the Republicans can't form. So they won't be a populist party. So what kind of a future are we looking at then? I mean, if, if, if all of this uh, continues unabated, how are Americans going to, to look forward to the measures that will follow into the future? Well, democracy's finished. It's gone. And what we have is ruled by the establishment. It's, a, it's an oligarchy. There are various parts of the establishment. The military security complex is a very important part. Wall Street is an important part. The media are just their pawns because they're centrally owned by the establishment. You know, once, once Clinton let 90% of the media be concentrated into six hands, that was the end of any prospect of an American independent media. So these various interest groups, they may tussle among themselves and fight among themselves, but basically they have a common interest. And they now rule, they have all the power. They, con they control the security agencies, they control the media. So they have all aspects of control. They have all the financial control. And the Trump people, who are they? Well, they haven't got any money. They haven't got any influence. They don't have any power positions. And they're not going to be permitted to form a party. A lot of people don't understand. Uh, Trump officially lost the election. But he lost it by getting more votes than any winning president in history has ever gotten, except Biden, who Trump supporters believe augmented his vote by 10 million stolen votes. And uh, Trump's vote was decreased by 10 million stolen ones. Now, whether it happened or not, that is the belief of half of the voting population. And so what are they doing to this half? Are they trying to uh, have unity? No, they're sticking their fingers in their eyes. Impeachment, there are going to be more accusations. The acting U.S. attorney and, and the District of Columbia is now um, 
making uh, charges of sedition against people who entered the White House, even though they were allowed to enter. It's part of blackening, of, of fear. And most people, they just hear what they hear on the news. They don't, they, don't, they don't bother to find out. They just hear it. They hear it everywhere, all the time. And so it has an effect. It doesn't have an effect, that effect on the Trump people. The effect it has on them is they're out to get us. So you have a split country. I don't think it'll ever be healed. And, and so there's a war. There's going to be a war. It doesn't mean it'll be a civil war with guns and bullets. It'll be waged with laws and words, and the Trump people will be demonized. And if they try to organize, they're portrayed as domestic terrorists. That was analyst and commentator Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, his, his website is paulcraigroberts.org. Coming after this brief break, my chat with Barry Swicker. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Barry Zwicker was a journalist and staff writer for a number of high-profile newspapers across Canada and the United States, and also a media critic. He's perhaps best known for exposing the official story of 9-11 as a lie. I wanted to get his perspective on the January events in the United States. When I took classes with Marshall McLuhan at the University of Toronto in 1968, I can't believe it was 53 years ago, he already, McLuhan, was already probing, as he called it, the phenomenon of speed up, emphasizing the impact on society and on each of us as individuals. Uh, when events just pile one on after another on us. And he was again ahead of his time in seeing this, and he's more on the money every day about speed up. Now, as to the events then of January the 6th, the siege of Capitol Hill, it's obviously historic in various ways. And uh, let me mention five briefly. First, the crumbling of the American empire, like a big glacier disintegrating is discombobulating, but from an historic point of view, it's welcome for those of us who have seen that empire persist and grow in its toxicity all our lives, while we've continued to do all we can to resist it and bring about a safer, saner world. Now, it may be a turning point, that is the siege, in that it reveals along with the failure of the USA in general to cope with the COVID-19 pandemic, the flawed foundations of the American empire. I dare say that more people than ever before are having their eyes opened to the long-standing inequities of the USA that go back to the founding fathers and perhaps also the founding mothers. Inequities such as embedded racism, that the USA has had and continues to have a caste system best compared to India's with white Brahmins at the top and dark-skinned African-Americans and indigenous and other Dalits at the bottom. 
So the second thing I'd mention about the siege, I think it's becoming clearer. It was a variety, as you suggested, of that history changing phenomenon, the false flag operation. The essence, the nub, the key thing about any false flag operation is deception. And that's deception in capital letters, boldface, italics, and underlined. As emotionally powerful, uh, th this would be a false flag operation is an emotionally powerful event that is not seen for most people as what it actually factually is. The classic false flag op was the torching of another legislative building, the German Reichstag in 1933. That was blamed by Hitler on his opposition, which was the socialists and the communists, but in fact was ordered by him. In other words, Trump, in either directly or indirectly ordering and certainly fomenting the siege, he was following Hitler's playbook. And that playbook has served those in power throughout human history to start wars and to stage coups. Third thing, the difference with January the 6th seems to be that with speed up, more people than ever are having the wool pulled off of their eyes, thanks to the stark difference in police preparedness and police response to the thugs of January the 6th on the one hand, and on the other hand, police preparedness and response to the by and large peaceful protesters of Black Lives Matter in 2020. The upshot is that even mainstream non-right-wing media can engage in pattern recognition, another phenomenon that McLuhan emphasized. Police and the military frequently, if not usually, are central to coups in, in various countries. Fourth and second last point, as to the how of January 6th, a useful lens for grasping its essential nature is to recall the words of a 9-11 truther. He said, they, meaning the perpetrators, either let it happen or they made it happen. And if they let it happen, they made it happen. These two elemental varieties of any false flag op have been condensed into the abbreviations LIHOP and MIHOP. And finally, number five, as a media critic, the speed up is revealing the power and role of so-called social media as never before. The power of social media derives from the triangulated, triangulated super amplification, more or less imposed on users. Unfortunately, we humans are basically flawed in our cognition in many ways. Just one way is that our emotional reactions to words, images, and events usually precede and overwhelm our logical or more thoughtful reactions. This is especially true regarding what are called flashbulb events, ones that become immediately embedded in us because of the emotive content, but they become embedded right along with false official explanations from the very day they're embedded. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I think that's uh, what has happened with the siege of January the 6th, except as I mentioned, uh, there's two audiences, the, the really badly flawed audience of Trump supporters who believe anything he says, the way Hitler's supporters believed everything he said. Of all of these incidents over history, uh, do you have any particular thoughts about where this goes? I mean, like you said, it's like Reichstag fire in a way, but I mean, how, how many, how uniquely different is it in that scale? What's unique about it is that earlier than with any other false flag operation that I know of in history, more people have caught on to the fact that it was a false flag op because they can see this stark contrast between the way the police uh, responded to the Black Lives Matter protests and the way the police responded to Trump's thugs on, on Capitol Hill. So that is, I, I think that's historically new. And, and uh, but then the social media so-called, they, they, they could be called both social media and anti-social media, um, have uh, both amplified and complicated the public response, the public perception of what happened and who did it and why it matters and what may happen next and the whole plethora of questions that, that, that the incident exemplifies and triggers. So, so, so I think that's historic, historic in the best sense. That was former journalist and media critic Barry Zwicker. My next guest is based in Washington, D.C. He participated in the crowd at Capitol Hill last week as a reporter filming events. His name is Jason Burmas. He's a documentary film producer, a broadcaster, and commentator. He worked on Loose Change, the film debunking 9-11. He's been active with We Are Change. He is now putting together a series called InfoWarrior, it airs on YouTube and Rofkin. Here's what he told me of what he witnessed. Yeah, uh, I was down there during the initial event. Uh, I got into town actually a couple days early. I was able to live stream a lot more uh, the day before when the crowds were smaller. But I, I was able to get out some semi-live and live video from the Capitol. And I made my way all the way up to the uh, second level uh, 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 of the building after what you know, the media is calling a siege. I don't know if I see it that way, uh, especially if you're going to label tens of thousands, if not over 100,000 Americans outside of the Capitol building as domestic terrorists. And I did a small watch along with just a half an hour segment or so of the impeachment uh, proceedings today. And I got to say, I'm pretty disgusted with uh, the the government taking every opportunity to paint a large swath of citizens, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, as domestic terrorists. Because as you know, even if the left is cheering this on now, it will eventually be used against the left as well. And that's why I've been extremely hesitant and combative in some cases 
when people on the alternative right, if you will, would call Antifa terrorists or people that burn American flags terrorists or people that deface monuments terrorists. Look, if you deface a monument, there's charges they can get you with that are far outside of any domestic terror threat where you will be charged, there will be a trial, and you will be punished accordingly. That should be enough. Uh, allowing the government to have all these new powers under a uh, draconian domestic terror act, in my opinion, is the last thing this country needs. Okay. Well, why don't you take us through, uh, I mean, you mentioned going up to the, uh, I mean, the parliament building up uh, as far as the, the second level. Could you just give us uh, some uh, hints as to what you saw and uh, you, what took place on your watch? Sure. So right out of the gates when I got um, to the ellipse, let's start there. Um, <clears throat> there were two main areas. So this is about 8.30 in the morning. Now, at the time, I believe Trump was scheduled to speak at 11, uh, but there were a plethora of other speakers that included Rudy Giuliani, Eric Trump, and others prior to that. Now, basically how they had it set up is one end of the park um, was where you would have to go through a gateway. You would have to get rid of your backpack, no selfie sticks, nothing like that. And you would get wanded, and then you could go into the main area. And that's where the speeches were, et cetera. Now, I would say that there was even more people on the other side of the street where um, you know you could see the monument in the background, seas of people, uh, so many people coming in between that 8.30 and even like 11, 11.30 marker. Trump doesn't end up speaking until about noon. Now, the first thing that clicked into my brain is, you know, uh, I'm a product of the quote unquote war on terror. And it was always, if you see something, say something. And one of the things that if you saw, you reported were empty bags, unattended backpacks. Well, I have never <laughs> been in a crowd of so many people where there were literally multiple stacks of unattended backpacks that had not been checked by law enforcement that were clearly full. Now, not just around the gates, which I, you know, I put it on Twitter, I filmed it, but um, there were people actually going, taking them and stacking them by light poles and saying, remember that light pole, you'll be able to go get your stuff after that. I have never seen less of a police presence anywhere that I have covered or ever been in my life. Now, what, what do I mean by that? You know, I was at Woodstock in 99. Okay. And there was more security at, at Woodstock in 99. And I would say there's probably a fraction of the people that were there than at this initial Trump rally. There was almost zero of a police presence. So when I'm talking about these bags, for instance, they're not even being taken by police officers. They're being taken by private workers in like yellow vests and they're putting to the side. The only place that I saw cops on the scene was they had a fenced barrier basically widely around the park area where you couldn't go. And sometimes you'd have to skip over that to go throw your stuff out because the garbage would be right over that. There were literally, and this is not a joke, two to four cops, 50 to hundred yards away from that. <laughs> so like not even at the edges, way back down that if somebody got a little too close or, or wasn't throwing it away quick enough, you might hear something from the police. That was the police presence. I never saw anybody from the National Guard, nothing like that. So when Trump finally comes on, you know, I noticed, man, this, this seems pretty poor. They don't have a, a ton of monitors everywhere, even hearing what he's having to say. And I'm in the middle, remember? I, I'm, I'm, I'm 
at the end of where people would go in to sign up and watch. And then there's just literally at least 75,000 people behind me. All right. But they're soaking it in. Um, the speech is going on. I'm actually with uh, Dylan Avery, who I uh, did loose change with. And we're kind of observing the whole thing. And we're noticing about midway through Trump's speech that people are now making their way around the sides and exiting from that middle place where everybody was getting checked in. It's at this point we're like, all right, well, I guess that they're going up to the Capitol because, uh, you know, we were asking as people were going by and they're like, well, we have three o'clock at the Capitol. There's a permitted march. Now, that's something the media is never going to tell you is that there was actually a plan for people to be in the back of the Capitol building. So when people first approached, and I, I must admit, I was not there for this to first approach because apparently the quote unquote siege, the initial breakdown went on as Trump was still speaking. You know, that's how many people were there and that's how many different factions were going on. The Capitol building from the ellipse, you're still looking at like three quarters of a mile to maybe a mile march. Okay. Wow. And for Trump to be speaking for this to happen, either you had uh, a decent amount of people that were already there or these crowds that I'm talking about caught up very quickly. So we stick around until Trump is over. And as Trump ends, you see the lines getting bigger and bigger and bigger and going up to the Capitol. Dylan and I decide to follow one of these lines up to the Capitol. Now he goes on to his phone <clears throat> and he starts getting word that they've taken over the Capitol and there's a possibility of somebody being shot. You know, this is all being reported in real time to me. And I'm like, well, that sounds terrible. I'm probably going to make my way there. I'm going to follow this one group of crowd. I then get a call from um, UFC legend, Pat Militich. We were planning on going together. We went separately. He's actually up at the Capitol at this point, And he witnesses the initial siege. He says, Jason, they just took the lawn. He goes, you probably want to get up here. I think they might go inside. I'm like, okay, now I definitely got to get there. Now, even as I'm going up, it's super peaceful. You know, these aren't people. I, I, I didn't see anybody who was armed. I didn't see any guns. Um, that, that's just not something that I saw. Now, later on, on film, I got sledgehammers. I got doorbusters. I got them breaking out the second window. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of false narratives that are going on in the mainstream and also on the alternative side as well. And, and I try to stick out, out of both of those things. So as I'm marching up, I notice that not only is there a line where I'm marching, but if you can look at the parallel street. So in other words, you have us marching up towards the Capitol, parallel street, and then another one. There's two to three times as many people walking up that street as well. So there's a main convergence as you come up to the Capitol at the apex there that was just a massive amount of people. Now, it was around this convergence that some of the cell data got unjammed. And for the first time of the day, I was able to actually live stream for about six and a half minutes on the march up there. Okay. So as I'm coming up, I'm actually able to get off a live stream and I'm talking to somebody who recognizes me as a filmmaker. And again, everything is is very uh, pleasant. This isn't, we're an armed surrection. We're going to take the Capitol. Uh, none of these things. When I finally get up, you now have a situation where the lawn is pretty much overtaken. Uh, the first level of the Capitol has people on it. I'm now getting texts from all sorts of people asking me what's going on, what they're watching on television. My mother in particular is, at, is telling me to be safe. 
She says that somebody's been shot dead. I'm telling her I'm not getting that vibe where I am. Everything's going to be okay. So I start making my way up um, towards the grass. Now, people have to understand, the grass wasn't even supposed to be an option. If you do watch those initial storming videos before they start letting people in, they basically had a very small gate and a super limited police presence blocking that off. So when I was there three weeks ago before this, there was a march up to uh, the Department of Justice. So you can go up past the Capitol and there's a walkway to the left of it that would have brought people not only to the Department of Justice, to the backside of that Capitol where the permitted protest was. Whoever was there initially battered that down. And by the time now, tens of thousands of people have left Trump are now marching up. That's no longer existence. Um, in fact, what they did was they took um, the chain fence, okay? And it wasn't just a bendable chain. You know, it's one of the ones that you'd maybe see at a barrier at a concert that, that's hard steel. And they were propping those up as kind of a stairwell for people, once they were on the lawn, to breach that very beginning of the Capitol building. So I'm a concert kid, and um, I was just really patient, kind of made my way through the crowd, got up to that uh, point. Now, when I got up to that point, basically people had been up on the podium. You had the first level taken over. There were still a small number of police on that second level, okay? And when people were getting up on the second level and then eventually filling up uh, the bleachers, when they were going up past that, you still had a couple police that were basically in their uniform and you would go up and you would see those people get bear maced. So, you know, another thing that I initially heard as I gained access to the Capitol was a huge pop and it was the, the gas and a concussion grenade. So these things were happening outside the Capitol for sure. Now, the, the police end up getting frustrated on that second level, just too many people coming up. So then they bail to the back and eventually take the third level, which is completely peaceful. A line of people are up there and that's where your major cop presence is for the rest of the time. People then start ushering in and in and up. The second level is where you see the windows get smashed and in the middle is a walkway. Now there's a, a, also a place where a lot of the violence took place where people were trying to push their way through. Um, some of the other really odd things that I did see while I was there and I did tape um, was when I was on that first level, uh, there were two people that were in the floorboards, actually, pulling up the floorboards from the, the first level and actually cutting wires. So, you know, this is stuff that I've gone over with my audience. I did a watch along of all the footage. Uh, it was really bizarre. And right by the wires, there seemed to be some kind of a PA system that, that was trying to be hooked up, everything in its first stages. It also had a stairwell. That was the stairwell instead of the side stairwells that I discussed earlier that people were getting up into the second level. And that's where I got up into the second level. In the stairwell, you could smell the CS gas. Uh, the remnants were there. Every once in a while, somebody would actually make their way down. Um, you know, I got one kid on video, all red-faced, had obviously been hit with either the mace or the gas. Um, and I do want to let people know in the initial siege, people wondered um, whether or not the police had fired on people. Absolutely. Um, not not hot ammunition, but less lethal ammunition. Um, I I discussed with one eyewitness who actually had the rubber bullets with him. I held a rubber bullet for the, my first time ever at this thing. Okay, Jason, I was wondering because I've seen myself some of the videos coming out of there. I mean, where where the police had released that the the gates so that they could move through, where they'd opened the door 
for mm-hmm. the, the protesters. Uh, there was a setup where they, they shot a woman. Uh, and uh, anyway, it, it, it seemed to me that there was a bit of an unsettling that this is like it's faked or staged or something. What I'm about to show everybody here is, well, I'm up on the second level, okay? Um, this is that median park. This is where the police are. And you can see right now that a sledgehammer is being passed up. Now, for the most part, I have no idea, number one, where that sledgehammer comes from, okay? <laughs> number two, um, the vast majority of people are being completely, like, you, you know, nonviolent and sometimes ripping these people down. I wanted to focus on this right here because I, I didn't want to be biased. I wanted to show people, you know, that this was happening. Who are these people? Um, and, and again, uh, the top level there is what I was discussing. That's where the police are. Otherwise, you're really seeing a bunch of people stand around, sometimes ripping people down that are smashing the windows. You'll see that. You'll also see a canister of bear mace come out of nowhere and pushed forward. I think that you had, number one, professional provocateurs. Forget about just Antifa or BLM or people that are just activists that were trying to rally rally people up. Uh, There was especially one man in particular in a gray um, winter hat that just was acting crazy and trying to incite as many people as possible. And unfortunately, I think that you get a monkey see, monkey do attitude, right? Where one person does it, and then all of a sudden you do have some of the well-meaning people here involved that were Trump supporters. I'd say the vast majority of them were completely nonviolent, discouraging this behavior. But again, when you have, for, for instance, you notice that the sledgehammer is gone. When it got up to the front, one of the Trump supporters literally handed it up to the police and didn't. I'm, I, I say on video, you'll catch an effing murder charge for that. Now, most people were happy with it. But then if you listen to the audio on this, you do hear two people. Oh, why'd you give it to them? Oh, come on. You know, disappointed that violence wasn't used. So, you know, in a minute, you'll see um, a bear mace canister come out, of, come out of nowhere. Where are these things coming from? I just don't see the Trump supporters arming themselves with sledgehammers, bear mace, batons. And over and over again, I did see them, um, you know, stop violence. Now, does that mean every one of them did? I mean, you're looking at a crowd right here trying to get in there with police officers. You know, those are and here comes some mace coming out that way. Um, this is violence. This is action. This is happening on, on the, uh, the top of the Capitol. There's no doubt about it. I think we have to own that. You know what I mean? You can't just have it one way or another. We have to be very aware that all of us uh, can be subject to a group mentality. There it is right there. There's the bear mace canister I was talking about (laughs) that just again, out of nowhere, it's there and they pass it up. And actually, yes, they do uh, bear bear mace, the police officers. Wow. So So, Jason, yeah. I'm just wondering now that, uh, you know, with, with, with all this action taking place and, and then, you know, there's Trump's impeachment and the uh, all the measures being brought in to fight back against domestic terrorists and uh, the depriving the, the president of Twitter and Facebook and, and so on. Uh, what is your impression overall, ha- as someone who was there and, and seeing things, what is your impression as to what was the overall thing that happened and what's coming down the pike? Well, I think the vast majority of the people just felt like we no longer have a redress of the government. You know, this is supposed to be a government foreign by the people. And I said it like this. Had these people decided that they had a plan and they were going to do it Occupy style at the Capitol and not be violent. OK, and say, you know what? 
Supreme Court said that Texas and these other states didn't have standing to even look at the evidence. Do we have standing? We're, we're not just Texas. We're here from every state in the union. So we're going to stick around until the Supreme Court at least looks at the case. How about that? Okay. And then we go from there. You know, I think that what you have here and what you should have is Look, there's plenty of video. It's not just guys like me that got this. You've got to understand the Secret Service, the FBI, the Department of Justice has a plethora of video from other people like myself. They probably took some themselves. They know who broke the law for the most part. They know who can be charged for the most part. But they want to broaden this so people fear anybody where with a MAGA hat on one side. And, and so that everybody who sees somebody, you know, promoting Antifa on the other side is afraid and that they can use broad legislation to make us all terrorists. It's a terrible thing what happened at the end of the day. Now, I think no matter who gets in, okay, in uh, the next, you know, week now, it's, it's a week away, no matter who gets in in a week and no matter what happens in a week, we have these rolling lockdowns going on in our country. That's not going away. That wasn't going away if Trump stayed in. It isn't going away with Biden and Harris. So, in some respects, I've been saying that we need a movement much smaller than the one you're looking at locally, at local governments, that is a sit-in movement, that is the great resistance to this great reset, where we're willing to go down there, not be violent, but now they're going to label, label you a domestic terrorist anyway, sit in in these halls of local government and say, look, we're not leaving, we'll work from here instead of home until the lockdowns are done until we don't have to close our business at 10 p.m., until I don't have to wear a mask everywhere. And really, that's the only chance we've got. And guess what? That's not a right or left issue. <laughs> they can paint that as a conservative and liberal issue all they want. I've got news for you. Democrats own businesses and Republicans own businesses. Democrats are upset with what's going on with the lockdowns. Republicans are upset. So this gives them another tool in their toolbox to not only criminalize behavior that wasn't criminal before, but actually make it domestic terror. And forget about your due process then. Everybody cheering on Guantanamo Bay or Abu Ghraib for the last decade plus, they didn't, they didn't understand. Eventually, it was for us, and that's how I feel right now. That was Jason Burmas, documentary filmmaker and broadcaster. You can catch more of his work by visiting the site www.rofkin.com slash Jason Burmas. That's it for this special broadcast. We'll be back next week with more on the big news in January. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaking, the homeland of the Metis and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for listening.